0: CloudCast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the CloudCast with Aaron Delft and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good
1: morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 124 of the CloudCast. This is Aaron And tonight I'm back in the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Brian is actually out still doing the work thing. But um, before we introduce our guest and move on to our topics for this evening, I wanted to take a minute and say just thank you for the absolutely amazing response already in our efforts to raise money for the North Carolina Children's Hospital uh, and on behalf of the 2014 Chris Wacombe Challenge. We just recorded a show about this, kind of giving our reasons and the benefits, and so if you get a chance, go take a look in the feed. It's one show back, but uh, we set a goal of five thousand dollars that we wanted to raise uh, for uh the north carolina children's hospital this year and actually uh, two weeks in we've raised over two thousand dollars so 40 percent of our goal in two weeks and we actually have until february so again thank you for everyone thank you for your interest thank you for listening and and certainly thank you for your donations it goes to a great cause um And in addition to that, if you're interested in actually coming to Raleigh in February and running with us, we actually have some people wanting to do that with some locals here in Raleigh that want to do that. And in addition to that, we might have some people actually flying in, uh, even potentially from all over the world to uh, run and eat donuts with us. So if you're interested, please head over to our webpage, thecloudcast.net. Uh, all the details will be in the upper right-hand corner and look for the big donate button. And so with that, let's uh, go on to our guest. So tonight we have uh, both the founder and president of VM Turbo, um, Klieger. Did Klieger. Did I even come close to saying that correctly, sir?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> well, thank you for
1: joining this evening. And first of all, I'd say, you know, give everyone a quick introduction and a little bit about, a little bit about your background.
0: Okay. So first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, so as you mentioned, I am uh, the founder and president of VM Turbo. Uh, we started VM Turbo in uh, 2009. Uh, we actually raised money uh, our first round in February of nine. which I like to say in the midst of the nuclear winter when, when we, lo- we lost the bank.
1: Really hard to raise money back then.
0: <laughs> and uh, uh, prior to that, uh, I was a CTO at uh, EMC. Uh, I arrived uh, to EMC in 2005 as part of an acquisition of a company called Smarts. I was a CTO and a member of the founding team of Smarts. Uh, we started Smarts in '93. Uh, we became the leading providers of root cause analysis for networks and uh, we were acquired by EMC in 05 for uh, $285 million. Uh, prior, prior to Smarts I was a researcher at uh, IBM T.J. Watson, and uh, I arrived to IBM from Israel where, where I got my PhD in computer science uh, in an area that has nothing to do with, with what I do today or what I did at SMART. Uh, my PhD was in compilation of concurrent logic programming languages.
1: <laughs> wow, very cool, very cool. So this will probably be uh, a slightly different podcast this evening in the fact that um two computer science majors i only have my bachelor's though you you know i don't have anywhere near phd level and uh, we were talking before we hit record two people from an operations background um and you know this isn't your first go round by any means this you know like you said earlier you you um started smarts and then that was acquired by emc but but what made you decide to kind of leave, start over and create something from the ground up, you know, more than once, because a lot of, a lot of people like to do that. And Hey, I kind of did it, you know, that, that feather is in the cap and I'm going to kind of move on. Right. What, what, what was your thinking about with the market and and especially, you know, raising money in those troubled times?
0: So that's a very uh, uh, good question. In fact, uh, maybe it's the, deep question that 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 uh, kind of uh, why did i do why did i do vm turbo or why we did we start VM Turbo and it goes back to to what i believe and what I lo- uh, do f- did for the last twenty years since ninety two since the days of smarts and uh, it come it boils down to uh, if you look at i t operation uh, and you step back for a second from uh, Kind of the, the, the details of IT operation, and you ask yourself, uh, kind of in the big picture, how does IT operation look like in the last 20, 30 years? And you basically see that it's, it's this system that is uh, around this perpetual uh, loop of uh, collecting a lot of data, trending the data, analyzing the data, and When something bad happened in the IT environment or something bad is about to happen in the IT environment, send an alert to someone, Houston, we have a problem. And then someone is reacting to that alert and uh, uh, dive to uh, navigate to the tons of data that we provided him, her, with, and trying to trouble shoot and figure out and, and do root cause what we call root cause analysis and trying to figure out what's actually went wrong with the sole purpose to fix it and bring it back to the healthy state the good state that the IT uh, was in to begin with and if you th- step back from that and you ask yourself why are we accepting that mode of operation a mode of operation that by the way Especially the the heavy lifting of troubleshooting and fixing take place while, by definition, uh, service is not being delivered or service is being impacted. And uh, show me any other system that is designed to break and fix, but we accept it an IT operation.
1: <laughs> and, it's true. It's very true.
0: So, so if you step, if you look at it like that, that's that's a fundamental question that I that I'm asking myself for, if you want, from the la- in the last 20 years since, I, since we, the days we started smarts. And actually when we started smarts in the mid-90s, we talked a lot about, uh, I don't know if you, you, you mentioned that you were at IBM. IBM was, was thinking, talking about self-healing networks, self-healing systems. We talked about ergonomics system, a lot about, around, uh, about uh, self-healing. But we never actually deliver any of that. And we talked about that a lot at Smarts, but at Smarts, we looked at that, if, if you think about it, we fit into the same loop that I just described, which is let things break, then identify that some what was the problem, and then try to fix it. And again... Uh, What I find myself thinking, what I found myself thinking is that this is fundamentally wrong and this is fundamentally has to change. And uh, I wrote about it many, many years that IT needs to transform from that mode of operation to a completely different mode of operation, a mode of operation that instead of is designed to break and then fix, to move to a mode of operation that we keep the IT. In a healthy state continuously and not reacting to something that goes wrong. And to be honest, there was and and and, and to some degree eliminate or minimize the human involvement in keeping the height environment in a healthy state. And there was a lot of resistance to say to let software keep the environment in a healthy state. But virtualization was, if you want, kind of a perfect storm or or a tipping point where where suddenly with all the dynamics and the complexities and, and, and the fact that virtualization brought down a lot of the silos that exist within the IT environments, there was no way that we could continue to operate it in such a way uh, that we can let things break and then try to fix it uh, and furthermore with virtualization and especially with later with clouds uh, the fear of you know what, if I'm not do, going to do it right by my IT internally, there are other alternatives that are cheaper, quicker and, and more scalable and you know what I'll better find a way to do it right in uh, 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 within my IT. Yeah
1: okay. that's that's a fantastic point because you know one of the things I see a lot of times is that idea where you're going at at the end there of you know what is the application or the workload and how does it handle a fail- failure in the infrastructure, and, and what we 're talking about is we very much have come from an environment where those applications are those workloads. you know If that underlying infrastructure fails, well, the application fails as opposed to it you know whether you want to call it self healing, whether you want to call it dynamic and elastic, you know whatever kind of terms you want to put on there at the end of the day. Uh, you made a very good point in the fact that the that application or that workload is, is a, a, able to recover itself without intervention. That automation of that recovery point is really a key point going forward to where that, you know, could I say that if it doesn't go down, well, then there almost isn't as much of a need for root cause analysis. Is that almost a fair point?
0: Exactly. If you think about it, Why should the root cause analysis and the troubleshooting and fixing be in the loop of delivering the service? Wouldn't it be more effective if I can first continue to deliver the service and find a way to deliver the service? And then if you want, at my leisure, try to figure out what went wrong in the infrastructure. And and if you think about it, before virtualization, we didn't have a choice. If something went wrong in the infrastructure, We had to fix it in order to deliver the service or make the application or the workload continue to operate because it was static and bound to the underlying infrastructure. But what virtualization did enabled us is to decouple the workload from the underlying hardware, i.e. enable us to work around a problem by moving things around, uh, 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 burst to the public cloud and, and take compute capacity there and you know what and figure out the issue why the workload itself is not being impacted and the user and the application continue to get the service that they need to get
1: yep I agree now let me ask you this then along those same lines when you do encounter a problem um in your experience with your products and with your companies over the years is what are some of the most common problems you're seeing is it is it hardware failures is it is it user error is it you know misconfiguration is it you know change management um gone awry like tell me a little bit about which ones are the most common ones and what you know which ones are the hardest to solve as well
0: so I think I think that uh, over the years I would argue that things shifted because if you go back to the days that that uh, that we did smarts and we focused on networks or or, or the kind of the hard uh, uh, infrastructure, the hardware, and so on, uh, most of the failures that we dealt with were hard failures, um, and uh, you know. Uh, especially in the side of the networks, it's okay. Uh, a, a switch was down or an interface down, a port was down. It was basically hard availability issues. Um, there were performance issues and they were hard to identify. But if you think about it, in the pre virtualization days, when uh, applications were bounded and static and, and one, one, one piece of hardware uh, runs one applications uh, most of the you know you, you you allocate all the resources for for uh, the application on that machine. Most of the failures were okay the, some something hard failure happened and caused the application to fail with virtualization what is the entire principle of virtualization and the entire if you want? The, the, the compelling ROI of virtualization is is consolidation and sharing of underlying infrastructure by multiple applications, by multiple virtual machines, multiple workloads. And by definition, sharing introduce interference, introduce performance problems. So what you see is shift with virtualization to degradation in service that are mainly due to interference between workloads sharing infrastructure, sharing storage, sharing network, sharing compute. And those interference cause degradation in performance. Those interference are very, very hard to identify.
1: Sure. And so we've moved Kind of from a, you know, hard up, hard down kind of scenario of is it, does it work, does it not work to, uh, you know, it might be more like noisy neighbor, multi-tenancy uh, kind of uh, not failures, but just uh, reduced quality of service, correct? Exactly. Now, let me ask you this, that that brings up an interesting point, and okay, so as we deal more and more with these infrastructures of service projects or products, so you know, OpenStack, Cloud Stack, uh a vCloud Director, um how how do they fit in with your product set at times? Because it, it seems like uh, you know, at, at, they started out almost small with a singular mission of, of you know, provisioning resources and, and providing resources and taking them away as needed. But those product sets seem to be growing over time and getting bigger and the scope of all of the projects and products just get larger and larger. And is that is that something that is is troubling to you at times? And and what is your take on that?
0: Uh, so, I, I first of all, they are not traveling because I think uh, uh, open source uh, projects are. are uh, in fact, I believe that they are maybe the most important disruptive force uh, that in the space that we are playing uh, of you know of uh, the hypervisor platforms and and the cloud platforms. Those are very disruptive and important forces, uh, and to some degree. Uh, it's you can argue that those are uh, movements that are. I don't want to say use what big words, but rebelling, re, uh, rebelling against you know the domination of vendors uh, that are basically controlling and, and and the space and it's it's part of the the need or the the desire to to uh, to unlock ourselves from. Uh, specific vendors and uh, now the challenge though which kind of relates to, to to kind of the previous question that you asked about what is the key problem is that the open source projects uh, whether it's OpenStack or CloudStack the way I look at them they are, they are mainly providing if you want the the plumbing or, or the the mechanism to to control the environment and to provision, as you said, and configure the assets and things like that. But what they are, I still believe that the fundamental, most uh, critical question or problem that that we are facing in those type of environment is the question of how to ensure the application performance while utilizing the environment as efficient as possible. And... And in order to do that, it's not enough to just do the provision with, with, uh, with uh, some uh, automated scripts, and it's not enough just to monitoring the environment and collect some data about the environment, but you need to have some kind of a brain, some kind of a, an engine that can tie the two together and address that fundamental problem of, okay, Continuously, How do I assure performance while utilizing the environment as efficient as possible? And so the the way I like to look at those open stack, uh, open source projects is they, they provide the arms and the legs to a brain that needs to drive them.
1: Ah, I like that. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, I would say this in, in my experience with um, really, uh, you know, any of them is there is going to be some holes in the products or projects and it, it seems like at least you know state of the environment today uh, you know December 2013 is that in all of them a lot of those holes still are around operations and I believe that that, uh, that still goes to maturity of, of products or projects because no matter what you know, I would say five years or younger um, at the very oldest for a lot of these and still haven't operated, you know, in in my mind, um, those, you know, everyone kind of thinks about that day zero, day one. How do you stand everything up? How do you roll out that first project? But how how do you manage it six months from now? How do you manage it a year from now? How do you do... Capacity planning. How do you do root cause analysis, you know, when something fails or when, like you were saying a great point earlier, when service degrades? Um, I think that that is really a very key aspect. And then also we throw on that, you know, multi-tenancy, compliance, security, uh, you know, it gets very ugly from an operations standpoint very quickly. Um, and I think that I think you know hopefully I'm saying the same thing you're saying and is that is that what what made you really decide to get into this market and is that a lot of the problems your customers are, are seeing and you're helping them address
0: right so exactly you're touching you're touching if you want the 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 core of the issue is is two things and that's from the uh, if you go back from the beginning of IT management was always an afterthought. Operation was always an afterthought. If you go to the big vendors that deliver all the assets in IT, whether it was uh, uh, you know the networking vendors, the the server vendors, the application vendors, uh, they were very very focused in delivering the best asset. They ver- their management, the management of the asset, and how that asset would be managed in a context of the entire IT environment was a complete afterthought. And as a result, when you look at IT operation and IT management as a space, it becomes if I, I like to talk about it as a nightmare, it's becoming a collection of point niche tools that each one of them solve very little specific thing for very small part of the IT stack, Uh, whether whether it's, if you look, just just look at monitoring, how many, we have probably hundreds, maybe thousands of different monitoring products for, uh, I used to joke that if there is something that moves there in the IT, there's probably a little tool that can monitor and give me a trend about, (laughs) about that little thing. Right, right. Uh, so, 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 and and as a result, as an afterthought, we come back and, and after the fact, after the, I have an, I need to operate environment, oh, I need to monitor. Okay, I'll buy a tool to monitor. Oh, I need to monitor the server. So I'll buy a tool to monitor the server. I'll buy a tool to monitor the VM. I'll t- buy a tool to monitor my application. Then on the other side, oh, I need to do capacity planning. So I'll buy an other tool to do capacity planning. Oh, by the way, I need to provision and configure it, so I'll buy another tool that will provision and configure it. And, but what all of those, and then very soon, very quick, I end up with uh, a collection of tools that then I ask myself, okay, at what what point of time when I have an issue or I want to do something, which tool I actually have to go and, 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 and uh, perform, uh, uh, look at or, or, or use? And what all of those tools are lacking is a common semantics that actually enable me to solve the operational issues that I actually need to solve as a user. And and um, And they are lacking, I mean, I kind of... Uh, if you look at the uh, about what I just said, if you look at the i t management as a whole space, I like to to say there is there is a collection of tools that are focusing on viewing i e collecting data, monitoring the environment, uh, generating an alert for some human to consume, and on the other side, there is a collection of tools that are dealing with the doing. Which are provisioning and configuration, configuration, which is basically a tool that enable the user to invoke actions on the environment. But what's lacking in all of this is a common semantics and some intelligence that I like to say that ties the viewing with the doing. I and, like that. Yep. And and, and that's if you are talking about what is the biggest gap in in. In all of those environments, and what is the biggest challenge is how do we tie the viewing with the doing? And how do we create a solution for a customer or to a user instead of the user collecting I don't know how many numbers of little tools and he left with the actual problem of how to solve the pain points and the problems that he actually facing because if and 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 the sad part of all of this is that we as an industry were kind of brainwashed if you want to to think in terms of that are oh i have a monitoring problem i have a capacity planning problem but monitoring is not a problem capacity planning is not a problem those are tools to solve a problem, the question is, what is the problem that we need to solve? And how do we solve them? And we, we were led to believe that, oh, if the let's say if my problem is how to assure the service and how to deliver the performance for the application, oh, let me buy a monitoring tool that will tell me when the application performance is not delivered or not assured. Oh, so now I'm assuring application performance. But if you think about it, that's a contradiction. Because if all I'm trying is a monitoring tool to tell me that something is wrong, by definition, I'm not issuing the performance of the application because I'm being alerted when the application performance are not assured.
1: Ah, right, right. And and so this, this concept of tools being, and I'll use the terms, you know, read-only or read-write, uh, monitoring or capacity planning uh, at the end of the day, uh, really being a read-only tool. Right, and all you're doing is you're 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 reading into it that environment and then raising a flag when needed to, but really out of band um versus a read write tool um actually taking action and, and actually interactively either solving a problem or recovering from a problem or or in some way taking an action now um that, that makes perfect sense, because, and it also makes perfect sense why, yeah, if you walk the, the trade shows, you know, walk the show floors, it seems like every other booth is a monitoring tool, right? Um, <laughs> because a read-only tool is much easier to build than a read-write tool. Um,
0: but, but, uh, and, but I'll correct you in one little point, but it's very important. It's not so simple to build a read-write tool that reads, wait for a problem, and trying to... St- solve the problem and fix a problem. Then you go back to what we did at Smarts, trying to do root cause analysis, which root cause analysis by itself, it's a very hard problem to solve. So if you, are building, if you are looking for a read-write tool that will read, monitor, and wait for things to break and then trying to identify what's the problem and then recover and fix... That's not so easy to deliver and that's why you don't see a lot of read-write products because mm-hmm. doing the, doing the, if you want, the automated root cause analysis and identify what's the problem is a very, very hard problem. It's a very complex problem. And really when, when the people tell you or product tells you that they do root cause analysis, they actually... Uh, they are not really doing root cause analysis. They give you the information for the user to do the root cause analysis.
1: Right. I see what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this then. Based off of that, what do you see most of your customers doing today? How do they get started? You know, when they're presented with exactly these challenges, um, what what kind of problems are they tackling first and, and which ones are they kind of bubbling up and saying this is the one that immediately needs to be solved, whether it's a hard problem or an easy problem?
0: I I think that, that what you see in the market is that uh, people first deploy, as you said, they deploy the environment, whatever the environment is, and very quick, they ask themselves, okay, the fundamental question is, How do I assure performance? How do I deliver performance? And the sad reality where I see it is that they fall into the the old trap of, okay, if I want to assure performance, let me buy some monitoring tool that will tell me, that that alert me when performance are degraded, when when I have an issue. So the first, if you, any IT person, any user, any customer of ours, what he... Everyone, in order to keep his job, needs to make sure that the IT delivers the performance that it needs, and that's the first mission that they have. And so, so they deploy, and then they look to monitor to know when 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 things are. Uh, uh, are not performing in order to be able to react and and hopefully, as they like to say, proactively react, i.e. me, the IT knows about it before my CIO knows about it or my, before my CEO knows about it. Uh, the second question would be, okay, now that I know how to assure performance, how do I do it? By, by while reducing the cost or while doing while running my environment m- more efficiently, but that's kind of if you want the second question, especially with with the IT uh, uh, IT administrators, the the day to day people, the, the CIOs obviously cares more about if you want the cost of how it co- how much it costs me to run the environment. Uh, but you see, but once the the problem is that the when people think and separate the two, they are falling to the trap of, okay, let me uh, uh, first, uh, to, the, to, to my first answer to your first question, Well, okay, how do I show performance? I'll get an alert, and then I'll react, and then I'll fix. So, so uh, this is the, main, the first problem, the, the kind of, if you want, the first issue that they have to make sure that they take care of and uh but but they are dealing with it, I believe, uh in a way that actually they don't show performance, but rather being alert when performance are alerted when performance are not being uh delivered. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: Now we're we're kinda running a little long on time, so I wanna ask you one one final kind of topic or question here. Um uh, and this is a little bit more of you know what are we seeing today, and then and then you know kind of look into our crystal ball. What what do we think predictions are for the future here? Um, are, are are you starting to see as we're moving from virtualization to cloud computing um, requests for some of these um, more cutting edge or evolving use cases you know say say for in- instance API integration for DevOps kind of environments where um you know most everything is starting to be called by an API as opposed to driven by by a user interface um or uh integrations with with public clouds um is that something you see today and is it something you anticipate seeing in the, in the future
0: uh, so it's uh I actually uh, going back to when I raised the money. My, my pitch to to the the investors were in 09 was that I said it. I I, I put a date of 2015. Uh, you're asking me about 2000 uh, about 2014. Uh, 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 about 2015, I kind of said, and and I don't know that that's true. The that, that at that year workload will be mobile across the universe. Uh, of course, private, uh, private, public, whatever we call the hybrid clouds. And when when that happens, when workload will actually be mobile across the universe, uh, then what we need, the, we will be left with, with the, the hardest, most important question is, okay, what workload to run where and when to maximize the ROI from compute capacity that I can... Get anywhere. Very cool. And yep. What I see. So what you see today. So first of all, I I believed for years that 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 workload will be mobile, and we will get to environments, uh, 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 hybrid cloud environments where where enterprises will run mixed workload, and and when when they can move workload around, they will burst on demand to public clouds and bring back to internal clouds. Uh, now, whether it will happen in the next year or two years from now or three years from now, I don't know. But what you see today is definitely uh, big, big, big organizations are are, are uh, experimenting with uh, creating, uh, if you want, uh, hybrid clouds internally and and trying to see how to move workload. From, if you want, business as usual to to uh, more, uh, if you want, uh, cheaper, more economically attractive alternatives, and it's just a question of time when they'll start also moving to a public cloud some of the workload, and uh, and I think that that's definitely a, a trend that that will accelerate because the economics are are. Uh, so compelling very yes. cool
1: i like that so so some very nice predictions in there and 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 absolutely some great combinations back into what we're doing today so so um, Jamal where can everyone find out more about you or about uh, vm turbo
0: well at www.vmturbo.com Awesome. Very cool.
1: All right. So we're going to close this out now. Um, if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at the or on the web at thecloudcast.net, where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thanks for listening.